I think one of the big concerns is that this could be a meaningful drain on liquidity. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This week, the Bank of Canada lifted its conditional pause, raising the key interest rate to 4.75%, a 22-year high. On today's episode, Portfolio Managers Matt Montemuro, Chris McKinney, and your host Mackenzie Box explore the likelihood of further rate hikes. They also discuss ways to monetize volatility, T-bill issuance, and market seasonality. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and provide your comments and questions each and every week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Fox, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I am joined by Matt Montemiro and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So special thank you to both Matt and Chris for joining me today. Let's dive in. So we just heard the Bank of Canada's latest rate decision for June. What happened and what does it tell us about the Bank of Canada policy moving forward? Matt, if you can uh, provide some insight on that. Yep, I'll hop on this one. And it's certainly been an exciting morning, a surprising morning. The the Bank of Canada raised the overnight rate by 25 basis points to 4.75%. So the pause that the Bank of Canada had mentioned and had in their interest rate policy to start the year is now over. Coming into 10 o'clock's decision, the market was a little bit split on the result. The market was pricing in about a 39% chance of a hike. So the Bank of Canada certainly surprised the market overall. And it really shows their concern that inflation is becoming entrenched and and stickier. And two, that they are willing to act quickly to any sort of adverse uh, inflationary pressures. They have said that they were going to be data dependent. I think most market participants expected them to kind of let April's hotter than expected inflation print and just let that ride and continue the pause. But the Bank of Canada acted swiftly and said, nope, we're not going to allow inflation to continue to rear its head. We need to get in front of this. And they hiked sooner than a lot of people expected. So, you know, rather than wait any longer, they decided to to pull the trigger on that 25 basis point hike today. So in in raising that target for the policy rate to 4.75%, you know, central bankers cited stronger than expected GDP growth and a very tight labor market as the main reasons for the move. You know, importantly, the statement also highlighted the stickiness of the three-month annualized rates of the Bank of Canada's core inflation me- measures, which continued to run well above that 2% target. So they're really looking at the, those core numbers, and, and we're not making meaningful strides down, and they felt now is the time to further hike, add, and just try to make a, a more meaningful impact on, uh, on those core inflation measures. So, you know, looking forward, monetary policymakers will be watching the evolution of several things in the economy. So they'll be looking at excess demand, 
inflation expectations, wage growth, and corporate pricing behavior in deciding whether rates need to move even higher after today's hike. That said, I I think it's unlikely that they'll see enough progress restoring that pricing stability before the next scheduled rate decision, and that's in July. So for us, that also means they, they might be signaling that there might be another hike to come. And I think right now, if you look at where the market's pricing it just kind of immediately after, we're talking maybe about an hour after the decision, the market is firmly expecting another hike in July. So it's funny how quickly expectations can change. You know, the Bank of Canada's willingness to hike in June has now caused the market to react and say, well, if they're hiking in June, we think they're going to hike again in July. So that would bring the overnight rate to to 5%, which is the highest we have seen since 2001. So, you know, the markets right now, it's close to pricing that in. We're seeing bond yields sell off as rate cuts are now pushed out even further. So we've been in the camp for a while that we thought rate cuts for late 2023 or early 2024 was was too optimistic. And, and we're starting to see that come to fruition as those rate cuts are getting pushed down the line into 2024 uh, in, in market expectations. So while I am surprised with today's decision, it does show how quickly the Bank of Canada is willing to act to ensure that it does not fall behind its fight against inflation. You know, we still see value in short-term credit exposure. I know we've been talking about short-term credit for a while now, and I think our position is still so firm. You know, we expect that there's going to be blips in in the radar uh, or in in the uh, recovery from inflation in terms of cooling it. So we have expected that. And taking advantage of the higher rates in the short end of the curve is one way to play that. And I think today's decision doesn't change our positioning and fixed income uh, in that sense. We do continue to believe that we are in for higher rates for longer. I did think that we were likely going to be in a further pause environment, but the sentiment still prevails. Higher rates for longer you know, take advantage of the inverted yield curve while you can. So if I was looking at just immediately uh, positioning my portfolio, I would still favor short credit exposure. So ZCS, the BMO Short Corporate Bond Index ETF, or ZST, BMO Ultra Short Term Bond ETF, both provides very attractive yields. We're talking 475 or, or above 5% yields. And I think they're continued to be well positioned. You're, you're reducing some of that interest rate sensitivity. So as rate hikes get priced into the market, you know, you're getting a little bit less sensitivity to those interest rate hikes. And then also you're taking advantage of those higher yields. And I think right now credit continues to be very well positioned for the uncertain and volatile environment that we're currently in and we likely are going to be uh, enduring for the rest of the summer. Great. Thanks, Matt. Definitely an exciting morning. Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. Chris, we'll move the next question to you. So equity market volatility seems to be on the decline so far in for June. Is this sustainable? And what is the implication for BMO's suite of covered call ETFs? And maybe you can uh, you can highlight our BMO covered call Canadian Bank ETF ticker ZWB. Sure, thanks, Mackenzie. And 
Yeah, interesting times in terms of equity market volatility. And we, uh, you know, to your point, we have seen that come down a little bit here in June. Typically, volatility is inversely correlated with equity markets. And so as we see markets go up, like we've seen so far here in June, typically that means volatility is coming down. But we've been in really what we have described as a new regime for volatility post-COVID um, if you look, you know, if we go back a couple of years and look previous to the COVID um, sort of shock to the equity markets, volatility, and if you look at VIX, uh, the VIX index as a proxy for equity market volatility, uh, for those that follow the VIX or, or that might not be as familiar, that is uh, the implied volatility on the S&P 500 over the next 30 days. And so this is a, a market pricing mechanism indicating how volatile markets think uh, the equity market will be. And so again, previous to COVID, that average VIX number was around 15. And you can find pretty much just as often it would be trading above 15 as below 15. And so a low vol environment was considered that 10 to 15 range and, and a higher vol environment was 15 or 20 and above. And then, of course, we saw this spike in volatility around that, that COVID shock in early 2020. But even since then, volatility has come down significantly, uh, but it hasn't come down back to those pre-COVID levels. And if you look at even during 2021, when interest rates were at zero and QE was in full force, uh, you know, this is typically associated with a very low volatility regime. Um, but even in that environment, the VIX did not get back under 15. And in fact, we've only seen it do so uh, in the last couple of days here, we saw it drop under 15 uh, to start June and, and briefly was under 14 for a while. But as Matt mentioned in his previous uh, response there, things can change pretty quickly uh, and market expectations can, can change pretty quickly as well. In terms of what all this means for covered call strategies, and you mentioned ZWB, we can talk about that as sort of a proxy for covered calls. That implied volatility or that expected volatility number is the main input into options pricing. And so it's almost, you can almost take that as the price of selling options. And so when volatility is higher, you can generate more premiums from selling those call options with a covered call overlay. And so we have seen that come down here in 2023. In fact, you know, particularly looking at the financials, uh, it dropped very significantly in the first couple of months of 2023 before the U.S. regional banking crisis, uh, and so came back down to what we'll call normalized levels, but then spiked up again during March during that sort of regional banking crisis that was playing out in the U.S. And now that that's calmed down, we're starting to see that come down again. So it'll be interesting to see if this um, is, a, is a shift back into that sort of lower volatility environment that we saw pre-COVID, but I think overall expectations are that volatility will remain elevated and it is related somewhat to that path of interest rates. No one really knows where the terminal rate is anymore. We thought we had a good handle on it. Uh, but as Matt said, um, you know, not only was there an increase in Canada here today, but now there's expectations that there's going to be another one in a month or so. Interestingly, we've also seen rates in the U.S. tick up today. And so I don't know if that's an overhang from Canada, if that's bleeding over into the U.S. as well, or if there's other drivers there, but we're seeing rates move up again. And so this interest rate volatility, I don't think is behind us. And so I don't think that equity market volatility is really behind us either. And so I think, you know, in particular for 
investors that are a little bit concerned about continued volatility in the markets, having exposure to a covered call strategy that can monetize that volatility um, is a great way to play that theme, right? And again, as, as we know, as volatility increases, the more you can generate out of call premiums uh, increases as well. And so while we've seen so far in 2023, those call premiums in ZWB have come down a little bit from 2022 Again, just because that volatility or an expected volatility hasn't been as high as we've seen in the last year or so, it doesn't take much for that to turn around and pick up again. And so especially for income-oriented investors that want some protection against increased volatility in the equity markets, having exposure to that covered call strategy, able to monetize that volatility, and should it pick up again, um, you see those yields and those premiums really start to pick up again, we think is a great strategy going forward. Great. Thanks, Chris. Next, we'll move to you, Matt. Last week, we discussed the U.S. debt ceiling agreement. Now that an agreement has been made, there is talk about the amount of U.S. Treasury issuance that will be required to replenish the reserves. Can you walk us through your expectations and any market implications they may have? Yep, absolutely, Mackenzie. You know, investors are bracing for a wave of U.S. Treasury T-bill issuance as uh, the U.S. Treasury needs to refill its depleted coffers. You know, while a deal was a a big hurdle, and we talked about that last week, uh, the Treasury now needs to play catch up. Our U.S. government bank account has fallen sharply since January, uh, and that January timeline is when the U.S. Treasury hit its limit on borrowing. So they haven't been able to borrow in addition since January. So they've been really just pulling on that bank account uh, to meet their obligations. You know, quite literally, the U.S. Treasury uh, had to do some, you know, let's call it creative accounting. They had to, to work with some government pension promises to several government pensions to just make sure that there was enough money to meet their obligations over the last you know month or so to keep up with their cash needs. So to replenish this, the expected total of U.S. Treasury T-bills, T-bill issuance, and that's where we, we expect most of this to come in, in very short-term, under-one-year T-bill issuance, they'll need to issue about, the expectation is about $1.5 trillion from now until the end of the year, so December. You know, mapping that out, you know, there are some immediate short-term needs. Uh, you know, I think the the market expects about $400 billion of issuance in June alone, and then $500 billion. So that's $900 billion already from July to September. So if you think about that, in that, that, that is a significant amount of uh, new U.S. T-bills that are going to come to market, $900 million sorry, 900 billion with a B from June until September. So that's a lot of issuance in a very short period of time. So, you know, what are the implications of that? What can we expect? So to start, you know, I think one of the big concerns is that this could be a meaningful drain on liquidity. You know, as 1.5 trillion is taken out of the system, as investors look to to take it from other segments of the market and put it into T-bills, there's not just 1.5 trillion dollars just sitting around. This could lead to much tighter financial markets, much tighter financial conditions, and could have, and I think the expectation is that it will have, you know, a very similar impact, tightening impact, that an additional rate cut. You know, some are quantifying it as basically a a hidden 25, uh, sorry, rate hike, sorry. Uh, Some are quantifying as another 25 basis point hike that's kind of hidden in the market. 
You know, historically, this type of influx of issuance and reduction in overall market liquidity has had a pretty negative effect on bond and equity markets. You know, the true impact and magnitude on the the strain of uh, liquidity could be softened by a couple of factors. But I think one of the the things we expect is that there's going to be volatility ahead as money starts exchanging hands and moving around the system. You know, one way we could cushion the impact and soften that impact is through money market funds. U.S. money market funds, much like money market funds in Canada, have seen record inflows as, you know, short-term rates are, are very attractive. So investors have been kind of sitting on the, on the sideline and getting paid for it. Uh, so, you know, a lot of those U.S. money market funds uh, have been achieving some pretty attractive yield targets by investing in the Fed's reverse repo facility. Uh, you know, a key here would be, you know, as we issue these new U.S. T-bills, the investors would require the T-bills to yield, you know, about that 5 to 5.15% so that they outpace the reverse repo facility so that money market funds would decide, okay, you know what, I'd naturally take my allocations out of the reverse repo and a, a little bit further, further out the curve into these short-term T-bills. T so one would expect that short-term bills will continue to hover kind of around that Five to five point one five percent yield that resistance level right there, so that it remain attractive for investors to move from reverse repo into the T bills. You know, if if this week's uh, T bill auction they did fifty billion in in forty four day T bills, uh, and the the order book was three point one nine times oversubscribed. So, you know, at these current rates with these uh, short-term T-bills, you know, the market is saying, you know, that's attractive. Uh, I think one of the concerns is, you know, at at those rates, do we see money come from reverse repo into T-bills, which would be uh, a nice softening effect on, on the economy? Or is if it's coming from other sources, then we could see some tighter financial con- uh, conditions and potentially some more ramifications throughout the rest of the market. Now, another risk here is that the market expects the Fed, if the market expects the Fed to hike again. So, you know, right now, similar to, to uh, the Bank of Canada, we did not, we do, the market does not expect the Fed to hike uh, next week. But as we just saw with the Bank of Canada, you know, anything can happen. If the market does expect the Fed to hike again, you know, that would further exasperate the problem and hurt liquidity. And interest for T bills because the expectation if, if rates are going up, you know there'd be less interest in 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 these T bill investments. So for me, I think just the the amount of U.S. Treasuries that needs to be issued, I think that is going to be uh, a reason why the Fed will continue to hold their rate hiking cycle and pause. You know, I think that that influx of T bill issuance. Uh, will be tightening enough for the Fed to to hold suit for the rest of the summer and see how the market uh, reacts. So, you know, all in all, I think this is going to be very topical for the rest of the year. Uh, I think it, it's going to lead to some volatility in the market, both in the equity and bond markets. Uh, and for now, I think it means the Fed will likely hold tight next week. But we could see some spotty liquidity. You know, we could see uh, potential liquidity challenges in several markets, especially in on, on the corporate space. Uh, that's something to to keep an eye out for for the rest of the year. So, you know, overall, I think there are headwinds for the market, uh, and I think it, it's going to lead to more volatility to come. Great, thanks, Matt. We'll see what plays out in the next week.
Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 6%. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. And the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, and ZWC. Last but not least, Chris, a popular strategy that we've heard and we've mentioned on the podcast uh, over the last uh, year or so is sell in May and go away. What does that involve exactly and how does it work? Sure. Yeah, this is a popular um, saying about the equity markets and and really it refers to the seasonality uh, embedded in the equity markets. Now, uh, of course, there is some element of truth to this. Um, it, It comes from somewhere, of course that markets do tend to exhibit some element of seasonality. But of course, that doesn't happen every single year. It's not, uh, it's not a definitely a tried and true sort of process. But what, what that saying refers to is the fact that uh, if you sell your equity positions in May, um, you can kind of take the summer off, so to speak, uh, because generally equity markets are, are weaker uh, in those summer months. And then you re-enter the markets approximately six months later, let's call that October, November. And that's when the equity markets tend to experience most of their their strengths is uh, is late in the year, that November, December. You've probably heard of the Santa Claus rally as well uh, as a a sort of seasonal thing. And then March, April tend to actually be very strong months uh, in the equity markets. And again, these are all generalities, uh, not every year. Uh, is the same. And so we would never actually recommend to investors to completely sell out of their equity positions in May um, and then re-enter them in November. Um, But for investors that are interested in playing seasonality or really just um, playing that sort of risk on risk off tone and and putting more skin in the game or taking it out, so to speak, uh, as a rotation type strategy, We do recommend investors look at sector ETFs as a way to potentially tilt their portfolios without, you know, really changing their overall asset allocation mix, which is so important for for determining how your portfolio is going to perform over time. Um, But staying within that overall asset allocation mix, tilting towards one sector versus the other uh, in order to, you know, hopefully play a little bit on that seasonality theme. Two ETFs um, that we offer for investors uh, to look at for this sort of strategy is our BMO Global Consumer Staples Hedge to Canadian Dollar Index ETF. That ticker is STPL. And then BMO Global Consumer Discretionary Hedge to Canadian Dollars Index ETF. That ticker is DISC. And so what you're doing there is taking advantage of one sector that is more pro-growth, that consumer discretionary sector that tends to work very well when equity markets are rallying. Um, And you're pairing that with that consumer staple sector, which is more of a defensive type exposure. You're not going to get as much growth out of that. Um, But when markets are down or weak, that staple sector tends to provide a little bit of cushion on the downside. And you know, really, there, there is evidence to that. And we could take a look just at the last year, year and a half as, as evidence here so far in 2023. Again, it's been a very pro-growth type of environment. 
uh, equity markets have rebounded um, nicely here in 2023. That discretionary exposure is up in the neighborhood of 20%, while consumer staples are only about flat, let's call it. So uh, not up, not down. Compare that to 2022, when obviously there was significant equity market weakness. Um, staples, again, were about flat in that environment also. So that's actually a positive when uh, the rest of the market is down, call it 10, 12, 15%. Uh, and conversely, consumer discretionaries was down around 25% or so. So very weak market for discretionary in 2022, uh, but seeing that rebound here in 2023. And so for investors, again, that want to either tilt to that sell and may go away sort of theory of that seasonality of markets, Maybe you want exposure to those staples during those summer months. Again, instead of selling out of the market completely, maintain your equity market exposure, maintain access to that equity market growth, but do it in a more defensive way and, and use the staples um, to tilt your portfolio in that direction. You know, by the way, when we're talking about consumer staples, um, you know, think about companies like Procter and Gamble, um, but this is a global exposure, so you know, global companies as well. Uh, but from the U.S., which is you know largely dominating the global markets, Procter and Gamble, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, companies like that. Um, but again, also widening out to the global opportunity set, you get some important European companies in there as well, like Nestle, uh, Unilever, and Diageo. So those really you know blue chip type names in the staple sector. Again, you could think of those as very rock solid type companies that maybe you're not going to get a huge amount of growth out of, but when markets are down. Uh, they should hold their water very well. Conversely, on the discretionary side, um, you know, think of the home builders in the U.S., like Home Depot and Lowe's, or, or those home building related companies. Uh, but then also, you know, the high flyers like Amazon and Tesla uh, fit into that discretionary category also. And then again, broadening it out globally, you get some important uh, European companies in there, like uh, Louis Vuitton, for example, or from Japan, you're getting. Toyota and Sony and, and the like there as well. L'Oreal, another European company that, that you'd be getting in that discretionary sector. So again, when you're expecting markets to do well and you're expecting that growth element to return to equity markets, maybe you want to tilt to that discretionary sector and that discretionary exposure. And again, when you want to be a bit more defensive, don't take all your chips off the table. Don't sell in May and actually go away. Just maybe tilt to those more defensive names and that defensive sector like those consumer staples. Great. Thanks, Chris. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So special thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening to our podcast. And thanks to Matt and Chris for providing some great insights. And with that, I just want to thank everyone and have yourself a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemiro, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, which provides exposure to Canada's big six while earning call option premiums. Our experts also discussed rotation strategies using sector ETFs, the BMO Global Consumer Staples Hedge to Canadian Dollar Index ETF, ticker STPL or Staple, invests in blue chip consumer staple companies, including Procter & Gamble, Nestle, PepsiCo, and Unilever. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. 
Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.